All right, folks, this is Sean Zock, joined by Dylan DeChair. This is The Drop Zone. We've got an interesting show this week, thanks to Alan Shipnuck, who interviewed Steph Curry for the cover story of the November issue of Golf Magazine. We will share that interview here, and we'll talk to Shipnuck afterward about it. There are big things happening in Steph's world, big golf things, both now and in the future. Big things happening on the drop zone today, Sean. <laughs> anyway, we will cue that up in just a few minutes. But first, did you play any golf this week? I played some golf with you, actually. And uh, I, I'm a little bit worried about your your game at the moment. Can we talk about this? I'll be brief. I played Ridgewood on Saturday. Ridgewood is a course in Jersey pretty well known it hosts the northern trust every couple years Mm -hmm. um who won there bryson won there hunter mahan won there uh it was in phenomenal shape like mint perfect saturday fall saturday there's leaves kind of blowing across the fairway it was like 71 degrees Mm -hmm. good scoring conditions great scoring conditions but i learned what it's like to play okay and not score well like I had that feeling really for the first time, probably scored six shots worse than I really should have. And that's so debilitating. It's just so frustrating to like feel like you're close to something. And then the score, which is the ultimate truth, just tells you you're not. Should we get some listeners to send you like some scoring tips? DMs are open. Yeah. Just got to wipe the slate clean and, and start fresh. But one thing I did that I was committed to you know, if I'm going to commit to talking about myself as a single-digit handicap, mm-hmm. I have to commit to holing everything out. Ooh. You know, there's so many people that are like a six to eighteen handicap mm-hmm. that take so many gimmies. Yes, and in the world of integers, we we count in integers on the mm-hmm. golf course. Those three-foot putts all have to go. They all have to go if you're giving them. That is the art of handicap scoring. It's like, you know what? You weren't good enough today on those three-footers, so you, do, you don't take them. Our colleague, Michael Bamberger, would really like this stance because, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the ways that Michael lives in this beautiful, like, social media-free life, he, you don't want to say naive, but he's kind of removed from uh, from even something as impure as it, the gimme. Yeah. I feel like Bamberger exists where, you know, if you make a six, it's because you made a one-footer for six. Why are you keeping a handicap and a, and a score of strokes if you are getting free ones? For your ego and for, I mean, there's lots of reasons. Yeah, but that is against <laughs> doesn't make everything. That is against everything that golf stands for. Mm-hmm. It's all a friendly thing. And sure, you could be playing a friendly match, but if you're really keeping a score, then you got to do it. Let's move on to, I think, the news of the week. You know, we had Lanto Griffin win in Houston. The LPGA took a week off, but I think the biggest news was announced this morning by the European Tour. It is called the Scandinavian Mixed. It is a full-field men's and women's event, one trophy, one prize fund, one winner. My question for you is, like, what will this actually look like? In eight months, will we be treating this as, as a gigantic thing? I hope so. I would like to say so. I love that just the... The power of Swedish golf has been summoned. <laughs> yeah. The hosts, Annika Sorenstam and Henrik Stenson. Uh, Henrik's going to play in this for at least the next three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I would like to say that we're going to really get some star power behind this. I, I expect that there will be some really good players from the women's side. It's the week right before the U.S. Open, which and has me a little bit worried. the week after the women's Open. Oh, yeah. It's sandwiched between the USGA's biggest events, which mm-hmm. I think will make it difficult for it to pull. But 
it is the first event of its kind. In that, it will be great. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got 78 men, 78 women playing for the same purse, uh, same trophy, etc. We We have not seen that. No. We haven't seen exactly what the format's going to look like as far as teeing grounds. I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, it's funny. It was getting me to read back a little bit about when Annika played on the PGA Tour, which she only did once. Um, and then I forget just how many tournaments Michelle Wee played on the PGA Tour. She played a ton out there. She played like yeah. a dozen or more times. She was this marketing entity that people wanted to, to get out there and, and explode the game. And it was probably just a gigantic uphill battle for her. Oh, my, I mean, yeah, especially, you know, even as much progress as we've made in the last 15, 16 years since Annika made her PGA Tour debut, you can only imagine the amount of nonsense that she dealt with. What I hope is that they don't care about necessarily the hole-by-hole par as much. Like, I would love if they, setting up this event for men and for women, if we just decided that maybe a short par four for the men or, or a normal par four could be a, a tricky par five for the women. I, I hope that perhaps a 230-yard par three for the men could maybe be a tricky mm-hmm. par four for women. I don't know if that's possible. Wait a minute. So you're saying keep the score relative to par rather than yeah. just the number? I mean, like just focus on the number of strokes it's going to take you to get from the first tee to the 18th green mm-hmm. and not get so bothered with, okay, well, it's very, it's very similar for a woman – to hit or to play a 160-yard hole than it is for a man to, to play a 200-yard hole. Like Those differences, I think, are, are much trickier to figure out than it is just to say, here's the course, go and play it from these sets of tees, and we'll, you know, we'll see what the women will score and we'll see what the men will score. I know it, it has to be dialed in to a point where it's competitive, but I just hope it's not like you play from here, you play from there, all over the place and it does and so that it does feel like they're playing a different course mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting i mean one thing that this gets me even more excited for is different versions of this i know the european tour has been experimenting around with uh, different ways to have men and women playing at the same event and i look at something like tennis like wimbledon or the u.s open where you have the men and the women playing same you place. know alongside each other same place it really gives it a bigger feel bigger festival feel Helps out the men's game and the women's game, I would say. Um, I mean, in the Olympics, it I will keep beating this drum, but it's so insane that we have not figured out a more interesting way to conduct the Olympics golf tournament than just 72 holes of stroke yeah. play on the men's and women's side. It needs to be – there needs to be some sort of mixed doubles match play format yeah. in the Olympics. It would be the greatest thing. It um, feels obvious. And likewise, it feels obvious that the PGA Tour and LPGA Tour should have done this a long time ago. I am forever amazed that the European Tour needs to pull along the PGA Tour in terms of setting up professional events. Like, Jay Monahan was asked about this 18 months ago, something like this happening, a mixed event, men and women at the same place at the same time playing the same tournament. 18 months ago, he said, it's just a matter of time. And he was unclear about the timing Mm-hmm. of yeah. which event, which week, whatever. We have like 42 PGA Tour events <laughs> across a 52-week year, and Jay Monahan is still very much struggling. And who, you know his counterpart on the LPGA Tour, the people that are deciding when these events go, why, why is it such a struggle? 
why does the European tour make it make sense and the Europe and the PGA tour cannot? Well, I just don't think the financial incentive is there. No, for it's not for Monaghan to act, and you know they do sort of take their it's not a priority cues from the European tour. I'm, I'm not sure that the European tour doesn't have a perfectly uh, social or moral high ground in terms of where they're conducting their <laughs> tournaments and and everything that they're doing. But in a few of these ways, they do get it, and I, you know, this is something that we just really hope works. The unfortunate thing is so few top flight players keep full status on the European tour right now that I think that that's probably going to be the biggest barrier. You know, Henrik Stenson may well be far and away the The biggest name at this event, kind of like he was at this week's Houston Open. (laughs) All right, well, Sean, in addition to that, what you're saying is the biggest news of the week, which I like, but we do have a few big events, and I'm just going to give you three quick things to watch for this week. I'm going to ask you how excited you are about each one. Let's do it. Uh, The first one is we've got some big boy golf coming back. The Houston Open is gone. The CJ Cup is here. we got Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka. Morikawa, Hovland, and your boy Jordan Spieth. Are you excited for the CJ Cup? If so, why? Honestly, I'm not that excited for the CJ Cup. The only thing that makes it different than the other events is that money has drawn bigger players into it. So scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably like a 3 or a 4. Tiger isn't playing. Rory isn't playing. DJ's not playing. You got regular season Brooks. You have regular season Brooks. I'm not intrigued by the field, but there's a lot of money. You kind of miss me when that's the criteria. There is a lot of money. All right. Also happening in Asia. You recently said this was your favorite golfer. Danielle Kang is defending her title at the Mm -hmm. Buick LPGA Shanghai. Are you excited to see her kind of like get back on the horse? Well, that win of hers was like monumental for her, her psyche. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how important it was that she was making a coaching change to Butch Harmon right around that time. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see if she's still like in that same space. The LPGA is moving towards its tour championship. Mm -hmm. And yet we still have to focus on the PGA tour. Give me a five out of 10. All right. I just love that. Like everything's over in Asia this time of year. So (laughs) You can be really bored like I might be on Saturday night and be like, hey, there's there's professional golf on TV. Well, and if you're Not really it. bored at midnight on Sunday, <laughs> you can flip on Golf Channel and get to the uh, the Skins Challenge. The Challenge, is that what we're calling it? Japan Skins Challenge? Yeah. Anyway, Jason Day, Hideki Matsuyama, Rory McIlroy, and Tiger Woods. Skins game. We really have not had a high-profile Skins game since our time in the media started no exactly Um, are you excited for this or is this lame no i'm really excited because sunday night it's perfect you have your football games at 1 p.m then your football games Mm -hmm. at 4 p.m then you have your single game at 7 30 p.m or 8 p.m and then all of a sudden it's time for bed now we get to watch golf a little nightcap i was excited for the match between tiger and phil you've added two more people right and I, th- I think if you just take Tiger versus Rory, I would sign up for that any day of the week. I think Jason Day has been the most exciting player in all of these kind of lame promos mm-hmm. <laughs> that that this event yeah. has put out. It's funny. We've seen that at photo shoots too, actually, with Jason Day and a bunch of these other guys. He can be like the glue. He's like the spark mm-hmm. in the group. Always has something to say and seems like he genuinely means it. Uh, I'm excited for it to actually start. I will say that because... <laughs> 
you know, look, the, the promo videos, the press releases, my God, some of these press releases, you just read them. And you're, there's no possible chance that these guys said what they are said to have said in these yeah. press releases. Anyway, I genuinely think once it starts, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Tiger Woods will be making his captain's picks for the President's Cup two weeks after this. Mm. So you find out a lot about Tiger. You probably find out a good amount about Day and Hideki. And we'll see where Rory's at. Like We haven't heard from these guys in a while. We have not. So it should be all good. All right. Let's move on to our interview. It is Alan Shipnuck with Stephen Curry. It is a golf 2020 conversation. You guys will be seeing a lot more of these on our website moving forward, but keep listening after the interview for Shipnuck's take on what it's like to hang out with Steph, what Steph means for the game. So yeah, here is Alan Shipnuck and Steph Curry. So what are you working on in your golf game these days? I'm still working on everything, you know, on and off the course, really. Uh, honestly, I feel like my game has been at like this level it's at like, last like three years, I'm trying to get better. But now it's opened up so many doors to trying to grow the game of golf and get you know more accessibility, more excitement around the game, um, and trying to you know, bring a different voice to it. So it's been uh, it's been great in terms of. How much the game has given, you know, how much I've enjoyed it since I was 10 to now being 31, like playing a, a couple of professional tournaments and a lot of cool stuff going on. So it's crazy. How do you find time for it? I mean, you're busier than you've ever been. And uh, how do you squeeze in just when you want to go play? It's getting harder and harder for sure, just in terms of, you know, obviously I'm a full time basketball player first and foremost. so. You know, really trying to figure out how I can you know, stay or take advantage of my prime on the court for as long as I can. Off court, you know, opportunities. Um, whenever you have a small window, whether it's really early in the morning or during the season on the road, going to play in between games. Uh, obviously, in the summertime, I have a little bit more free time so I can get it in. But uh, I always find those little windows just to kind of sneak out and go play. So do you have a special arrangement with Aisha? You're like, this is, I just got to go play some golf. And you, you get the hall pass. <laughs> I mean, it's been a part of my life since we met. But uh, as long as I have my priorities straight and taking care of things at the house, she gives me uh, that window, that leeway to go play. Uh, yeah. She knows I, was, I have fun. And she's getting into the game, too, which is actually the fun part. So I'm sure as our kids get older, we'll start playing a lot more rounds together. Yeah. You have a simulator in the house, right? So I do. So you full bring... swing. It's uh, I'm spoiled for sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's really cool. Like just in terms of just normal days, real being able to go home, have a club in my hand for 30 minutes. You know, just swing. Uh, I don't know. I think it's maybe better, but uh, it's it's pretty cool technology. So I enjoy it. Do the kids get on the simulator? Yeah, so my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, that's one of our favorite things to do is to follow me into the little garage where I have it and try to show off their swings and, <laughs> and uh, do what Daddy does. So uh, they're getting into the game, too. It's kind of cool for them just to, again, go from the kitchen to the simulator and hit it. And yeah. I'm just trying to hold their attention span as long as I can. Right. 
I know that was a big part of your relationship with your dad was was playing the game with him and, and learning it together. Um, does, does Grandpa Dell get in on the action? Does he take the kids out to play a little bit? He's actually never took them to the course yet. Uh, they'd rather do uh, do stuff at the house together. But I know eventually, just like you said, when my dad got me into the game when I was you know 10 years old, that uh, he'll pass that along to them too. Uh, it's kind of one of those things he flies in from North Carolina. Uh, they just want to spend as much time with him as they can, but they know that me and him will sneak off and go play golf, and yeah. they'll kind of roll their eyes a little bit sometimes. Like, oh, you want to play golf again? Just, <laughs> yeah, that's one of our things. Yeah. What you said earlier about making the game more accessible, maybe a little bit cooler, what what inspires your desire to, to help? It's not even your primary sport, but what is what has motivated you to try and grow golf? A lot of it's just been my experience in the game. Um, you know, when you start young, it's just a whole new world out there. And it's for me, I learned a lot about myself on the course. I mean, basketball is my sport, and it's what I spent the most time doing, most time grinding on, practicing. But you know, in those spare moments I got to go play golf, it's just one being outside, getting fresh air, meeting really cool people that were interested in the game too. You know, it's a game that doesn't matter what your skill level is. You can always kind of even the playing field and, and have a good time. And I think it's taught me a lot about discipline, perseverance, confidence. And I'm always trying to get better at it, just like I am when you know, at basketball. And that kind of mindset can carry over to other facets of life. And so for kids that don't know anything about the game of golf, aren't really interested or Maybe they are and they just can't find a way to get in in terms of getting equipment or getting on a course or you know any of those things, trying to uh, grow the game and, and do some pretty cool things that hopefully raise awareness of how fun golf is, but also uh, kind of change the culture a little bit around it. And so, again, it's been a big, huge part of my life since I can remember and uh, it's just fun. Yeah. I know you're about to host your, your first ever kind of your own tournament. Tell us about the, the Stephen Curry Classic and, and what your vision is for that. Yeah, so partnering with PJ Reach and, uh, and Workday, who's you know, a title sponsor of, of the, the event, and, and obviously myself and our me and my wife's foundation uh, called Eat, Learn, Play, uh, trying to raise awareness and, and, and funds to do a lot of cool things in the, in the Oakland and, and, and greater Bay Area. Uh, for kids in those three, you know, facets of life in terms of eating healthier foods, you know, learning more and hopefully getting kids to graduate college uh, on time and then, uh, you know, providing and building, you know, safe spaces for kids around the, you know, the Oakland and, and Bay Area. To do that through the game of golf uh, with amazing partners, but also hopefully getting some excitement around that, it should be fun. I mean, you, you must be presented with a lot of opportunities within the game. How, how do you decide what you say yes to? Um, that's a good question. I mean, some of it's just natural timing because a lot of stuff happens during the season. I'm like, oh, I, I can't do it. I got my day job to worry about. But I think uh, a lot of it's just is really trying to make an impact on the game um, and and things that I'm really passionate about in the game. How do I, can, if I lend my time, my voice, uh, even back it financially. So uh, I just try to do things that I really get excited about. I think that's a good way to start. Yeah. Of course, the um, the Howard golf team, that, that was a, a big announcement and everyone's excited about that. 
for you personally, uh, what's the most rewarding aspect of that? To, is it to just put the message out that uh, historically black college, that it's going to grow the game? Or is it thinking about the individual kids who are going to come through that program? You're going to touch them? It's a lot of things. I think in terms of, like you said, HBCU, where uh, obviously it's no secret the game of golf. There's a lot of underrepresented backgrounds in the game. And so for them to see what could possibly be in terms of a, a D1 experience, college education, scholarship offers that we have in that front. So that alone is just exciting, just to know that this could change somebody's life through the game of golf. And then you talk about, uh, you know, that maybe they're five, six-year-old kid that's just getting introduced to the game that maybe has a brother or an uncle or a cousin or somebody that's thinking about going to play golf at Howard. And they say, oh, I want to get in the game too. Um, and so we're trying to it's a big piece of the puzzle in terms of trying to, again, just raise awareness around how great the game is, create that accessibility, and you know, just grow the game that way, I think, is the cool part for me. And I know how much fun I have playing Division One basketball. And if you can think about you know, Division One golf could be like, you know, at Howard, this would be fun. How involved will you be? I mean, are you just making recruiting phone calls and <laughs> picking the coaches? Yeah, I'll be a part of, well, me and my team will be part of the coaching search. We'll make sure you get, you know, that, that first decision right in terms of who's going to lead the program. Um, and then we're going to do hopefully a lot of fundraising in terms of trying to get, a, you know, an endowment for, you know, full scholarships going forward after my six-year commitment. So a lot of work to be done. Um, even designing the clothes that they wear on the course, so nice. uh, through Under Armour. So it should be fun in terms of just putting your fingerprint on the on one, just creating the uh, you know the opportunity, but being part of that journey and the experience for those guys and girls. What will the uh, the aesthetic be of the Howard Golf uniform? Can you give me a little, <laughs> like, what, what are you what are you trying It'll to get be, to? Uh, what's the word? It's going to be stylish. It's going to turn some heads and. Then, I think on the back end, they're, hopefully their their competitiveness and their success on the course will, will follow suit. So uh, I think I would say the way I try to design the line in this you know range unlimited line with Under Armour in terms of like just something that's not too flashy, but that can be a little bit more versatile on the course and you know, again turn some heads because I want to kind of bring my personality to to the course and. Uh, and then in turn for Howard and be able to represent that well uh, should be cool. I mean, are you at home doodling on napkins? I mean, how much are you really thinking about these little fine details? I think in terms of like the process with Under Armour, we've had uh, put a lot of thought into it, you know, how to do it the right way, how to do it, where it's, you know, again, my personality coming out through the line and you're just not, not doing something just to do it. Yeah. Um, so we have meetings and have design kind of collaboration ideas going, you know, throughout the year. And there's a lot of thought and and, and uh, input that I give in terms of how it comes to life. And uh, I'm extremely proud of you know just this first run and this first capsule and, and how this can hopefully create momentum uh, as I kind of branch into the golf world too. Seems like a lot of athletes, um, the endorsements are just kind of transactional. Give me the money and put my name on it, and that's it. But you have a, it's more of a like a holistic kind of partnership where mm-hmm. you're you're super involved, and it seems like the the companies follow you into all the different endeavors. And so, um, how can you bring these companies that traditionally have not been associated with the golf, but how do you get them excited about golf and contributing and and, and helping to change it? Like you said, it's about just you know, overall strategy around 
Now you can kind of be more entrepreneurial in the mindset in terms of, like you said, I have so many, I have access to so many great partners and resources and just creating a vision of how, you know, that whole ecosystem can work together. And, you know, I spent the last two or three years trying to put together a team that I, that help, will help me kind of, you know, see that vision, you know, come to life. And, and in terms of, like you said, from all the things that I do off the court, you want to be able to have everybody kind of uplift each other in terms of things that I'm passionate about. And you might not be in the golfing world or you might not be in the basketball world, you know, and, and, or whatnot, that there's a way for them to kind of allow, you know, the things that are important to me and, and the way that I see life and how much fun I have and all those type of things to kind of bridge the gap. And uh, we're off to a good start. Yeah. How much do you use golf as, as a tool? So when you play with Barack Obama or some of these other uh, captains of industry, they, they want to play with you and talk about basketball, but will you pick their brain and how you can further your pursuits and even try and sign people up to help? I think that's the, the one thing about golf that I've talked about the most is just the people that you get to meet. Like there's so many different backgrounds and industries and like industry leaders and that, that have a common ground in, in playing golf. It's a game that you can play for life. And so, the foursomes or fivesomes that I've been in sometimes are just kind of crazy. Like one of them was myself, Jordan Spieth, President Barack Obama, the CEO of Under Armour, Kevin Plank, and, and my brother out there in Dallas playing golf. And like the conversations that happen in that in that group are are impactful. One, it's like you found like like a mentor in terms of you know guys that are doing amazing things, changing the world. That I get to kind of you know, rub shoulders with and. Uh, and all the while you're having fun playing golf. So yeah. it's, a, it's a common ground. And so, again, that's how you want to be able to create that, uh, that excitement about the game because of how many people actually play and love it. And a lot of good conversations happen on the golf course. You're a competitive guy. So when you peg it with someone like Spieth, uh, how, how hard are you grinding to try and uh, keep up with him? And, and what are you observing? What do you take from those really high-level matches? Well, first off, I'm a scoreboard watcher on the course. Even if we're not really playing a game, like sometimes you have just those casual whatever type of nights or type of rounds, I'm always keeping tabs. So I'm that competitive, I'm that guy on the course. So when you play with a guy like Jordan, I played him technically in his off season. So things like January, just come off a of vacation. And I was just getting back into the grind again. and. He just shot a pedestrian 69, and I'm like, you know, these guys are really, really, really good. Um, he gave me a couple strokes. I hung with him till 17, and then he stepped in my throat. So, uh, always fun, you know. Part of my nature, why you know, I was able to reach this level of basketball, is because of that competitive nature and uh, that streak. That just doesn't matter what it is, really, golf, basketball, board games poker like it doesn't matter you always have that like mean streak that you, you just want to win so yeah uh, sometimes people might think golf's just kind of a little passive no it's, it brings out the best of me i mean you, you know the difference between scratch and a tour player mm -hmm. but if if you could if you retired tomorrow from the warriors you're still in your physical prime and you just devoted yourself to golf how, how deep could you take it in, in, as a pro i have no idea I mean, you must I, have, fantasize I, have, about I do all the time. I have high expectations and confidence in myself. Maybe when I'm really done playing, 
I'll do like like the the true grinded Q school route and see if I got what it takes to 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 make it after maybe you know putting a lot of or some significant time into into my game. But I always kind of tread lightly with that question because it's it's one of those things like I've been playing since I was ten and got a natural kind of talent with it, but. The level that those PGA guys, even the Corn Ferry Tour guys, and the guys that are trying to scratch the surface, they're unbelievable talents, and uh, they've devoted their entire life to it. So, yeah, I'd have confidence out there with them, but uh, I know how hard it is to make it, and so very sensitive to that for sure. I respect that, but let's keep going. So, what, I mean, what is the difference between your game and their game? What was that little five percent that? Can you define it? When I play with Jordan, it's just the misses are just here, and mine are like here. And so, uh, and even when I played in the uh, the old Web.com event, uh, uh, the Ellie Mae Classic, I think the biggest difference was when I was playing well, even not having really practiced a lot before the tournament. I shot 74 twice, and then I shot 71 the next year. That fourth round I played when I got out there, it was like the third hole. I sprayed two tee shots right and went out of bounds. And at that point, my like world just started spinning. And I didn't, I had so many swing thoughts, didn't know where I was on the course. Like that level of like being able to recalibrate pretty quick. I know they play a lot of events and stuff, and sometimes you, don't, you just don't have it, but they can recalibrate like that and you know, turn a bad hole into a kind of a springboard for an amazing comeback or a great round. I did not have that talent. It had to be all dialed in or I was all the way out. So yeah. uh, just that level of consistency is something that uh, I'm just in awe of out there. Because I know basketball playing in the NBA, it's just 450 spots in the world and it's extremely hard to get to that level. But this sport itself is is extremely hard and they're trying to master it. And those ups and downs are crazy. The emotions you felt, playing, you know, your cameos on playing profession, golf tournaments how'd that compare to the feelings you've had in basketball it felt like the NBA finals for sure like I was just on an adrenaline rush and so anxious to get out there and play but I am super confident on the court I was kind of like iffy on the golf course because that's just that level of precision that you can expect I didn't know if I'd have it or not on the court I know when I'm dialed in like I'm tough to deal with but on the course just that little bit of indecision that I had to work with. But it, that competitive environment is unlike anything I've experienced in golf in terms of just got the gallery and every stroke counts. And, you know, it's just four, four and a half hours, hopefully, of, uh, <laughs> of uh, just an extreme adrenaline rush. Yeah. What was the reception you got from professional golfers who you're friendly with? It, it seemed what I heard is people were impressed that you hung in there, you shot some good scores, you beat some guys. I mean, uh, what, what kind of love did you get from, from the players? That first day I played in LMA Classic, so in 2017, I felt like I, I, felt like I won the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I got out, uh, finished the 18, tapped in for 74, so four over. I think I was like 20th from last place, so I was beating like 20 guys. <laughs> And some of my social media stuff was blowing up. Even Jack Nicholas tweeted about me. And my guy Justin Thomas, I think Jordan said something. All those guys like on the tour that were kind of keeping tabs just reached out and 
said how impressive it was. I think it was like four weeks after you know winning the finals that I was out there playing. I had a little longer, but I don't know. It's just when you see another professional athlete go and try to play, you know, competitive like that. I'm sure it did shock a lot of people. So I hope that I can play at some more events, try to get a little bit better. I think it just does so much good for the game in terms of revealing it to a different crowd, a different demographic that may not know or be interested in golf and, and getting them excited about the game. So uh, I think it did a lot of good. Yeah. I, when you're out in the world um, doing promotional appearances or, or just have, out at dinner, do people want to talk golf with you or is it always basketball? Say it's still about 90% basketball, but that 10% is really passionate when they're talking about golf. Like, they want to know what my favorite course is. They want to know what my handicap is. They want to know what it was like to play in the you know, web or the Corn Ferry Tour. They want to know all that type of stuff. So, and then, you, like you say, I get so many golf invites. Like, hey, you want to come here? Come play here. Maybe at your local course down down the street from the Oakland Airport. Like, hey, we got a standing game Saturdays at nine. Come. <laughs> come out and play so uh, you, you you realize like how many people actually love to play a game that you probably wouldn't expect so yeah I appreciate that what what's on your bucket list I mean what are the what are the five courses you're dying to play five three you name it I'd say Pine Valley is number one I haven't played that one before I'd say I'd love to go to Ireland to play so I'll count all of those courses sure. as one and then I'm going to say I would love to play. I'm going to get greedy now. Cause <laughs> Please. I would love to play like Augusta, like the Monday after the, the Masters, just to get like the full experience of what the conditions are like and how fast those greens are. I've been fortunate enough to play a couple of times, but it's been a couple of months before. So that would be that would be pretty cool. You have to get credential as a member of the media. Exactly. Can, can you help me out? I can uh, probably yeah. help you out. I'll be your, yeah. You find a spot for you on junior golf. Editor, yeah, something with junior writer <laughs> out there doing a piece. <laughs> when people come up to you in public and they want to talk golf, is it, you must enjoy that. It's a break from your, your day job. Is, that, is it kind of refreshing? For sure. I feel like uh, when you play 82 games and go through the playoff run for us these last five years, going to the finals, you do so many, you know, interviews and everybody wants to talk about, you know, X's and O's on the court or, yeah. you know, chasing all-time great teams and you get what's, how many threes you're going to make, all that type of stuff. Golf conversations are inherently different just because you get to like, talk about, like, where have you gone to travel and where have you gone to play? Like, when did you start to play? Yeah. Um, even for you know moms and dads who are in the game like their kids how proud they are of their kids who are just starting to play and all that type of stuff so kind of just normal conversations that i love and it's kind of weird just being like it is weird that as a basketball player and where i'm at right now in my career that that is one of sometimes the first thing people say is like <laughs> no you're you that golfing guy <laughs> pretty cool I mean, the, the golf culture of the Warriors runs pretty deep. I mean, I know that. For sure. I think the first time Lake have ever met Steve Kerr was on a golf course. And yeah, I, played, I was there. Oh, tell me. We were playing Pebble uh, right after Coach, uh, well, after Coach got uh, hired uh, as, our, as our head coach back in 2014. We were out at Pebble. Joe invited us down, and we had a good round. That's where I really got to talk to Coach about what the next season was going to look like and all that type of stuff. But yeah, our golf team, we have the Warrior golf team is, is – 
Uh, well, it was pretty deep. Andre was <laughs> Andre was on there. Clay plays a good amount. We got a couple front office guys who play. My guy Johnny West, who is now in the golfing royal family with Michelle <laughs> Lee. So, you know, and some coaches that play too. So usually on the road, if we have an off day, it's probably need two or three tee times, and, and we take it up and go have fun. I'm, that's not the reason you guys have had this, this incredible run. But it's it, part of it, though. I will say that. It's part of it. Well, it's speak to that, our, just the camaraderie. It's the camaraderie. It's the sense of normalcy in terms of doing things outside of, outside of basketball that can you know, take your mind off the game for a little bit. I think for me, Andre and Clay, even Coach Kerr, when he gets to play, like it's just you need that type of uh, release. And you know, you're playing nine months out of the year every other night. It takes a toll. And so just be able to get some sunlight, have fun, play a game, still be competitive, still kind of keep that, that mental you know, sharpness. Uh, but playing golf is crazy. All right, Alan Shipnuck joining us from California. You, uh, Alan, you play with pretty much one NBA player when it comes to your rounds of golf, and uh, it's generally always Steph Curry. So how does that work? Yeah, it's a really funny story. It starts um, in the early 80s when I'm 10 years old and a diehard Warriors fan. And this was the era of Joe Barely Cares and Sleepy Floyd my favorite player was Mr. Mean, Larry Smith. I had like two posters in my bedroom. I mean, I lived and died with the Warriors. And actually, my dad's girlfriend and I would bomb up there for games. It's about two and a half hour drive with traffic. And we just buy scalp tickets in the parking lot. And nobody cared about the Warriors. Like, we'd, we'd see, you know, peak Michael Jordan from the fifth row at, at half face value. And I saw Dominique Wilkins drop 57 on the Warriors. I mean, this is going way back. And... So I've always been a diehard Warriors fan, unlike all these tech bros who jumped on the bandwagon about four years ago. <laughs> and um, so in 2013, when, when this championship run was, was just beginning to stir, uh, Stefan was going crazy in a playoff game. And I tweeted uh, something to the effect that, you know, other than my children, you know, Stephen Curry is my favorite human being on the planet. And the the Warriors PR dude who I had never interacted with but he was following me on Twitter so he made a little mental note of that and in the summer he wrote to me and said hey why don't you write a story you know Stefan loves golf he's got this uh, summer camp down in Pebble Beach uh, I said okay sure you don't have to ask me twice so we um, we went out and we played Spyglass Hill with um, the rest of our foursome was Del Curry uh, Stefan's dad he's an, uh, a great player low low single digit and then the owner of the team, Joe Lacob, and we had a great time. Stefan and I were partners, and those other guys were making birdies like crazy. And we were early in the back nine. We were down in about six bets, and and Steph just got a little pissed off and just started grinding. And he just played the back nine at Spyglass is really hard. He, uh, I think he shot three under on the back nine. I made a birdie Jeez. on seventeen. We swept every bet. Um, then in the parking lot, Lacob stiffed me and chirped out. But that's a whole other story. And um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was it was it was great fun. He wound up shooting seventy on the day. Wow, uh, a legit seventy. I mean, and he's gotten better since then. I mean, back then he was he was scratch. He's got he's gone as deep as plus one point five. And uh, we we know what what Steph has done in his cameos on the Corn Ferry Tour. And so um, we always kind of had that bond. I. I did a golf magazine column about the Warriors golf culture and I saw him at practice. And then, you know, we had, we had three hours set aside for this golf magazine 
photo shoot, video, companion piece, my interview. Three hours sounds like a lot, but you guys have been on these mm. things. It goes fast. And his people were hovering a little bit and, and kind of sweating us about the time. And, and finally, Steph just said, you know what? It's okay. I'm not in a hurry. Let's just take our time and do this right. And, you know, that's such a, a refreshing attitude. And it, it kind of, it's a little window in, into why the Warriors have had so much success and why he everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, he just, he cares, he's invested. And even something, you know, for, for Stephen Curry, uh, magazine shoot's not that big a deal. But when he committed to it. He wanted to do it. He wanted it to come out right. And um, and it was just that once once the boss has that attitude, it kind of trickles down, whether he's the point guard or whether he's in this this uh, setting with us or whatever he might be doing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to reconnect with him. Yeah, definitely. You you probably couldn't have forecasted how important golf will be for Steph Curry's future back when you first met him. Did it feel like, you know, you're just playing golf with another athlete or did it feel like you were maybe seeing the start of what could be a really big thing for the game of golf? Cause that's what Steph has become. He's become a pretty big figure in the game. Oh, yeah. He's one of the most important ambassadors we have. There's no question. If you're trying to make the game a little younger and cooler and trying to reach different demographics than country club Republicans, I mean, Steph Curry is a better ambassador than almost anyone on the PGA Tour or anyone you can think of. So uh, he's and not only just because he plays a game with so much joy and he makes it look fun, but we you know, we know about his investments to, to Howard University and to the PGA Junior League. Uh, and all these other things. So he's, he's, it's not, he's, he's walking the walk as they say, but you know, back in 2013, he, he was already in deep as a fan and as a player and he clearly had a, a deep love for the game. And what was interesting is this is a very crude measurement, but I always feel like if you spend a whole day with, with a, an athlete, whatever sport, you know, for a big story and if they ask you any questions, if they show any interest in what you do, it tells you a little something about them. Totally. 96% of them don't. They're so self-involved. They live in such a bubble. You're just kind of there to do your, your job and they, you're, you're a re- replaceable part in their life. And um, it doesn't offend me on a personal level. I just find it as an interesting professional observation. And of all the athletes I've spent time with, whether it's NFL, NBA, obviously PGA Tour, the one who, who was most inquisitive about how I did my job um, was Steph Curry. And he, he peppered me with questions for 18 holes. And it was, it was really interesting. Um, he, was, he was curious about how the PGA Tour works, the minutia of being a tour player, how they interact with, with sponsors and with, with media and... Um, with the endorsement deals and he was like digging down on a granular level and it was more than just passing interest. I mean, I could see the wheels turning. Um, you know, he was this, he had, you know, a, a quote unquote expert on the PJ tour for four plus hours and he wanted to know everything. And um, he certainly applied some of that and how he's, he's gone about ingratiating himself in the game. Um, I remember him asking me, how do you get a sponsor's exemption? Like, do you write a letter, make a phone call? Like, you know, and lo and behold, now he's getting sponsor's exemption. Yeah, did you tell him it probably works a little bit differently if you're Stephen Curry versus uh, basically anyone else in the entire <laughs> world? But It's true. But, I mean, it's, it was kind of cute and almost, you know, guileless. Like, uh, yeah, he, he, of course, 2013, he was a, he, he was an NBA all-star, but he was not a you know one of the greatest players of all time. So his, his profile has risen substantially. But, yeah. 
you're right. Now all he has to do is just raise his hand. Um, but um, the point is, the guy even back then, you know, six years ago, was thinking big picture, long term, um, and you know the investment he's making in golf is substantial, and it's not. You know, he's going to put what two, three, four, five million dollars in Howard University, and, and that's impactful and that's cool. Steph Curry has a lot of money. More, a more valuable commodity is time. He has very little time, and he's investing a lot of time in the game, and that tells you how much he cares. And um, I think that he's going to continue to do things that are unexpected. You know, no one saw that the Howard. Um, partnership, you know, he didn't. He's not a graduate. None of his family have gone there. Uh, that was really out of left field. But um, Steph's now like a hyphenate, right? He's not just a basketball player. He's he's also an entertainment executive. He's a a company chairman. He's got a lot of things going at all times. And so he has this production company that's focusing on documentaries and other cool things. And he was at Howard to screen a really powerful, really beautifully made. Um, documentary called Emmanuel about the the, sh- the shooting at the all-black church in Charleston by the white supremacist Dylan Roof and so he was just there on campus to support the film and help bring it some some attention and um, th- this undergrad just kind of cornered him and said Steph I know you love golf I'm trying to bring the golf team back to Howard I need your support and from that little chance encounter wow. that night um, Steph is he's, he's riding with his business manager um, Bryant Barr, who was his roommate at Davidson, his freshman, he says, we got to make this happen. Let's let's do it. Make it happen. <laughs> it was just like, that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, when when he is passionate about something, he makes it happen. And X number of months later, here we are. I mean, he's, and again, it's not just writing a check. I mean, Stefan, he's on the the uh, search committee to hire the coach. He's designing the uniforms. Wow. When, we, when we were we were at Stanford uh, practice facility, that was where... Um, we did all the golf magazine interviews and stuff because it's a nice sort of private setting. I have a very cool leather golf bag by this new company called McDonald Leather Goods. And he was checking out my bag and he put it on his shoulder. He's like, ooh, that sits nice. And I said, yeah, that would be pretty sweet to have some throwback leather bags for your golf team at Howard. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, like even the little details. Um, so uh, it was uh it was it was revealing. I mean, the guy just cares so deeply about whatever he gets involved in, and and golf is is at the top of the list right now. Yeah, you mentioned that you can invest a number of things, time, money, uh, indirectly, you're, you're, or rather directly. He's kind of investing his fame, and you know when you look at uh, like the most famous athletes, ESPN did this ranking of of the top 100 most famous, worldly famous athletes. Steph Curry's number nine, and he's ahead of Tiger Woods. Like, the amount of fame that he brings to golf is really kind of unmatched. I mean, a bunch of soccer players are ahead of him. That's that's the bottom line here. Is Steph is bringing fame to golf. Right. I mean, the NBA is is such a platform. Of course, we all we know how deep it is in China. We've been reading those headlines, but it, it's it's just as big in India. It, it's just as big, um, pretty much every corner of the world, and. So it's not like at halftime of an NBA game, Steph is talking about golf, but he attracts people from all over the world and they do follow him on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you go to, to his, either of those platforms, there's a lot of golf there. So there's some kid in you know, Beijing who is being exposed to golf through Steph Curry. He doesn't follow Tiger Woods' Instagram. He doesn't follow Jordan Spieth, but he follows Steph. And Steph's out there having fun. 
he always looks so fresh in his 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 tailored Under Armour clothes. You know, he just he just put out his own line there that he was deeply involved in. You know, we're doing this photo shoot um, for Golf Magazine, and he he says, "Hey, run to my car and get the socks," because he, he likes to have his his pants tailored kind of high to show a little sock, and he wanted a different pair of socks to show off that that he he designed personally for the line. You know, like he cares about the details, and so. Um, you know, is this is this hypothetical kid in Beijing gonna actually play golf? Who knows? But he he knows it's a it's a cool thing. He's 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 being exposed to it, and and you gotta assume some of these kids are gonna try it, and it, they're gonna have been exposed to it by Stephen Curry, not by Tiger Woods. What is it like being just around Steph with the way he I don't know travels and and involves people? You mentioned he's interested in your pursuits, but he must have like an entourage with him too, right? What's his general presence? Well, it's interesting because uh, when you go back to Spyglass Hill, he just rolled up by himself, you know, in his, his uh, slams, all all black everything, um, Porsche, and just, just walks in the pro shop. He's like, hey, we got, where's driving range? You know, it's like, he he, he actually travels pretty light in the world. Um, now, if he's, if he's doing some public appearance where people know he's coming he's got security and all that because he needs that but um again Mm -hmm. we were waiting for him to arrive at at, of course something like this everyone gets there early we had all our videographers we had everyone's there half an hour early just just because that's what you do and we had a we had an army of like a dozen people that golf magazine and also some of steph's people and everyone's checking their phones where's steph where's steph and you know he just pulls up by himself just kind of strolls in and Mm -hmm. um you know, he sees me, he sees me, he gives me the bro hug. Hey, Alan, what's up? You know, it's like, he just, he just moves through the world very effortlessly. And, um, we had this whole timeline laid out, uh, to make sure we got all the elements and he's like, yeah, well, hold up. I got to eat this Chipotle here. And he's got a bag of Chipotle. And, um, I was like, I was like, Hey, this is a uh, lunch of champions. He's like, yeah, I got, got to get my protein. And, um, and then this other guy shows up. It's Steph's personal barber. So before anything happens, he, he gets his hair cut. He gets his beard trimmed. And that takes forever. You know, this guy's a perfectionist. And everyone's stressing out. And Steph's just in there. And I just kind of wandered in. We're just chit-chatting about whatever. And um, He's the most low-key superstar I've been around. He, he doesn't really want people hovering. Um, it's just like... It, his people are there in case they're needed, but they're kind of on their phones and doing their thing. And he, he doesn't need people to kiss the ring. He just, uh, he's very comfortable in his own skin. He's very at ease. And uh, he's just, for those reasons, he's just fun to be around. Did you get any stories? Uh, you, you make a couple references to uh, special rounds, like with President Obama. Uh, did you get any of those stories from Steph? Yeah, so what was interesting was that day he played um, also with Jordan Spieth and you know, Steph loves Obama, and they have they have a little bond uh, through basketball and golf. You know, they're shared loves. But he was more excited to play with Spieth because that was their first time together. And Spieth gave him, um, I think, five shots. And Steph was grinding the whole match. And he's like, that match meant a lot to him. Now, how, how, how much Spieth was grinding, unknown. But, um, you know, for Steph to measure himself against... A major championship winner and all that so he's a competitive guy you know just we were we're moving around from place to place at the, the stanford practice practice facility which is fantastic I and mean, it's like 20 acres with multiple greens and short game areas and everywhere we go there's balls laying around so he, he would pick them up sometimes and, and shoot them like a jump shot towards the hole and 
everything would stop. Like he didn't care what was happening. Like he was not going to leave until he made one. And you know, he'd shoot 20 in a row, finally jar one. Okay. What do you guys need? Like, um, you know, there was a moment where, uh, out on the Stanford range, they have these, um, the logo, it's like a probably four foot high cutout made of whatever plywood. It's like an aiming point at like maybe 150, 200, 250 instead of a flag. It's just something kind of visual to, to shoot for. And, so the photographer wants Steph to hit some shots on the range, and he he's got this he has his four iron. So he's trying to hit these little knockdown four irons at the one fifty sign, and again you know the photographer takes a bunch of photos. He's like, okay, that's great, let's move on. Steph's not leaving until he actually hits the sign, and um, it's something that all golfers can kind of relate to, right? When when you're just locked in and having fun, you're um, you know like, I mean I do that sometimes. I'm not gonna leave till I chip one in and I'm on a practice green and. So, but it was cute to see like how, how serious he gets in that moment. I mean, just that, like he's happy go lucky guy, but you give him anything that's competitive or that engages him and the the personality changes right away. And so it was even small, insignificant things. It was kind of fun to see that. All right. Last question. The, uh, the million dollar question. Are we going to see Steph like at Q school? Are we going to see him in a future where he's trying to take on the PGA tour and do this thing for real? Yeah, we talked about that at some length. Uh, he knows what a tall mountain that is to climb because he's, you know, he was paired with Cam Champ at the, uh, I think his first Corn Ferry Tour event, and like that will disabuse you of any notions of how good you are, right? When you see a guy makes it look that effortless, um, I think realistically it's ten years away, um, but I think it's going to happen, and it could definitely happen when he turns fifty and on the Senior Tour, and um, who knows? I mean. No one on the planet has better hand-eye coordination. He grew up playing the game. He understands how to play it. He has a feel for scoring. He can hit shots. Um, I would never say never. I mean, you look at you look at some of these, you know, nerdy dudes who turn out to be great golfers. I mean, do they have better athletic tools than Stephen Curry? I don't think so. I mean, the guy generates a lot of club head speed. Um, he has good technique. It's just a question of of the reps and. Um, I would love to see him try. I think it'd be fascinating. And, um, it, you know, Tony Romo's shown that, uh, you know, it, you can, you can make a little noise on the PGA tour. And, um, I think, I think Curry's got more game than Romo. So, uh, we shall see. I know that's sacrilege Dylan, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, the short answer is I hope so because it would be a great story and be fun to watch in that group with Cameron champ, Stephen Curry. Martin, Martin Trainer, <laughs> Martin Trainer, the the uh, the great third player of that group, and actually Trainer said when he won in Puerto Rico, one of the first people that texted him was Curry. Steph, yeah, I love it. How about that? It's so cute. I mean, when when we I forget when not this is my story from Spyglass Hill, but we played. You know, I had a, I had a Seymour putter back then. He's like, hey, is that Zach Johnson's putter? And um, no, it's Alan Shipnuck's. Yeah, player. exactly. And, and you know, after uh, it, this was like a week after the PJ Championship, you know, Steph flagged one. He's like, "Ooh, I got a little Jason Duffner tap in." You know, he's like, <laughs> he doesn't miss the details. He's he's locked in. So I'm not surprised that he and he keeps in touch with those guys because he loves to play with them. He he likes to know what's going on in their life, and um, so it, it's sincere. I mean, I him and Martin Trainer will have a bond for life from that from that those two rounds together. I love it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Shippy. We'll uh, talk to you soon.
fun story on the cover, like Dylan said. One thing before we go, I'm always wondering, is it that simple? Like Steph Curry wants to, in theory, take a year off, you know, or not take a year off, but just take a year and just try to get dialed in and see if you can make it. Mm. Aren't we finding out via Tony Romo that it's just not that simple? Like it, it's so much more complicated than that. Well, I think that the better you get, the harder and harder it is to get that much incrementally better from there. Yeah. You know, it's probably, you know, the same amount of improvement to get from a 10 handicap to a scratch as it is to get from, you know, those next two shots after that. I don't know. In my experience. Yeah. I mean, you are a pretty good person to ask, Mr. Plus Two. I did not play in the NBA, though. I do not have the uh, athletic ability of a star NFL QB. But anyway, I don't know. Will it happen? Probably not. I would love to see him try. That is good enough for the drop zone today. Shout out to Steph. Shout out to Shipnuck. Even shout out to Dylan DeChair, my co-host. Stay tuned. Next week, we are going to talk a lot about the Skins game happening in Japan. We'll see you next Monday. Monday.